All right, let's go ahead and jump into our message this morning. We're in a new series. We started it last week. It's called One Another. Last week, we kind of kind of brought kind of an introduction to this series, kind of what it's about. And we talked about a Greek word, uh, lelon, which is the concept of one another. And we've been kind of looking at this in, in, in an understanding that we need to take and use in, in every relationship. We talked about this kind of last week, you know, typically in February, a lot of husband-wife relationship talks and all that's great great, fine, and dandy, but this, the things that we're talking about over the next couple weeks, they're not just for husband and wife, they're for every relationship you have. They're, they're you know, friendships and, and co-workers and, and yes, of obviously husband and wife, but the relationship you have with your, your kids or your grandkids or, or your nieces or nephews, whatever it might be, we've been kind of looking at this as a whole, trying to understand what God requires of us as believers when we look at this concept of a leylon or this concept of one another. So we're going to kind of jump into this, but before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for this opportunity to look at these things together. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just illuminate these things in our hearts. Show us areas, God, that, that yes, we're doing well in, but also areas, God, that we need, to use, we need your help in to do better. We can all do better in our relationships. And Father, you want to help us to do that. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a child and growing up, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I remember going to my grandparents' house and experiencing that. They kind of lived on a farm. Most of you know this. And, and so, you know, you kind of go to the farm and it was cold. My, my grandparents didn't have uh, an, really an AC unit. They had a little AC window unit that basically was supposed to cool the whole house. And basically what that meant is we didn't go upstairs in the summertime because it was too hot. We would sleep on what my grandma would call the divan. I don't know what the difference between a divan and a sofa is, but it's basically the same thing, okay? So, but I would sleep on that usually in the summer because it was too hot. And in the winter, grandpa, we, they didn't have a heater. They would use a, a wood-burning stove, basically, that would heat the house and all these sort of things. But it would get cold in the winter. And so grandma would always go and she would bring out these quilts or these, these different types of blankets. And, and I know what a quilt is, okay? I understand what that is, but she would bring this one thing out, it usually kind of actually hung over the divan, and it was kind of like a knitted thing. I know some people right now are thinking, you dummy, that's called this. I don't know what it was, but it was a knitted blanket, okay? It wasn't stitched together. Somebody's talking to, I know right now, people online are like Googling it or something like that. Maybe you're doing that here. Please don't. Um, but basically, it would be this quilt that had been knitted. When I was in Albuquerque, we had a a sweet lady, her name was Sister Hart, and one Christmas she presented me with this knitted blanket. And, and it was always neat because you could hold it up, you know, and it was, it was, you could see through it. But whatever reason, when you kind of gathered it in, it kind of made you feel warm and, and, and soft. It was kind of made out of that, that yarn. But what I noticed about it is it was kind of, all the stitchings were kind of interwoven with each other. They all were a part of each other. It was, it was like, I always felt like if I pulled the wrong thread or the wrong piece of yarn, the entire blanket would just disintegrate in my hands and I would have a ball of yarn. And here's the thing that I've learned about life and learned about what God wants for us in our relationships, whether it be our church relationships or our family. And it's this, we have an interwoven story. 
Did you realize that? We have an interwoven story that we need to understand because when we understand our story is interwoven, some different things will help us. We'll begin to see things differently because a lot of times we tend to look at our relationships or the way we are as kind of separate and away and kind of not a part of each other. But God has a better plan than that. God has a plan where he wants us to understand that our lives are supposed to be interwoven with each other, to be there to help each other, to celebrate together, to, to mourn together, but to, to be together as one another. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 12, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and this is what he says, and we're going to jump from 12 to 14 to 18b. It says this, The human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. What Paul is doing here, he's giving us a, a visual. He's trying to help us to understand, what is the body of Christ supposed to be like? What are our relationships supposed to be? And he comes up with, I, I used a blanket. I used that interwoving of a blanket. Paul uses the body. And he says, listen, there's lots of parts, but all the body is a part of one. He says, the body of Christ is like that. Your relationships are like that. And he continues. He says, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one. And God has put each part just where he wants it. He put each part exactly where he wants it. What we need to understand in this idea of, of an interwoven story is you're not here by accident. You're not here. There's not this big cosmic oops that caused you to be here with us this morning. God has a plan. He's putting every piece where he wants it to be. Listen, I don't know about you, but I know at times in my life when I get into trouble, it's when I try to put my pieces where I want them to be instead of allowing God to say, listen, I want this part here. I want this part here. I want this part here. But as we understand that as our lives and our relationships are interwoven, is in the body, we also need to understand this. Your story is joined to my story. Whether you like it or not, your story and my story are joined together. Let me give you this crazy, weird example of this. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. One of the things that I got to do, when you get to be a youth pastor for that long, there's a couple things that take place that are a little different than if you're just a youth pastor for three years. And there's nothing wrong with being a youth pastor for three years, okay? But one of the cool things about being a youth pastor that long in one place is there were kids that basically I remember like way before they ever got into youth and they're like kids, like toddlers running around the church and they got to be in kids' church and then they got to be a little bit older and then they moved into youth. And I was their youth pastor their entire time throughout their, their teenage years and things like that. And one of the coolest things that I have gotten to do in my ministry is then go back and perform the weddings of some of these kids. Now, that makes me feel extremely old, but I've also learned something about that. Our stories are extremely intertwined. And when we are in a family together, God desires that. Listen, my story affects your story. Your story affects my story. The problem is, is we try to get to this place where we believe some lies of the enemy that say your story and my story aren't really a part of the same story. It's almost like your movie is over here and I'm over here watching the movie and my story is over here and you're over here watching my movie. 
That's not how it's supposed to be, and that's not what God is saying. You are in my movie, whether you like it or not. I'm in your movie, whether you like it or not. And that's not a bad thing. That should be celebrated and understood because unfortunately we try to live our lives separate from each other. We say, this is my world and my place and my section and you're over there. Do you realize that's not biblical? Do you realize that the Bible condemns that type of behavior? I mean, let's, let's just say what it is. God commands us to be a part of each other's lives. He commands us to not neglect gumming together. Listen, when you come together with people, you are there a part of their family. You are not a part of their family. You're a part of their story in that moment because you're a part of that. But listen, we need to understand this. We need to get what God is trying to get us to understand. You see, your spiritual growth your spiritual life is a community project. That is how God intended for it to be. It's a community project. I am there to sharpen against you. You're there to sharpen me. We're there to join together in happy moments and celebrate. We're there to comfort each other in moments of, tra of tragedy. We are to be a part of each other's lives. Not only does God desire to be in our lives and help us to grow, but he wants to use each other to help that take place as well. And we've got to learn that better. We need to, some of us, listen, if we can just be honest, some of us don't do one another very well. Some of us do one another really well, but we can all do one another better. Look what Paul says in Titus 3. This is interesting because we begin to see Paul kind of lead us down a path that really we're going to be kind of more focusing in on this morning because I think it's important that we start here. Look at Titus 3.3. 3. This is what Paul says to him. He says, at one time we. Now I want to stop there because when, when we have Paul saying we, he's not speaking just about others. He's literally speaking of himself. Okay. Now we can all agree that Paul was pretty amazing in his walk with Jesus, but yet even Paul dealt with these things. Listen to what he says. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. That word enslaved there, in other translations, it uses the word trapped, but that's kind of giving you the, the, the idea of what he's trying to communicate. By all kinds of passions and pleasures, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. If you look kind of at our world today and you kind of look at it honestly, isn't that very clear to kind of where our world is right now? Just so much hate, so much deceitfulness, so much just envy and malice and all these things. Paul is saying, listen, you and I, we were those things. We responded to each other in those things, but... But now that we have become believers, now that we have become a part of the body, things should be different. So Paul continues to kind of expound on this in Colossians 3. And this is really where we're going to be looking at this morning and really kind of diving in together. In Colossians 3, 12 through 13, this is what it says. So put on then, because we used to be, but now we're different. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, 
bearing with one another. Once again, that alelod, bearing with one another. And, and if one, uh, one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This morning, what in understanding our interwoven story, we're going to be looking at two specific one another's that I believe God has laid on my heart to help us to, to unpack, to understand. And the first one we see in Colossians 3, 12 through 13, is the idea of bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Now, this is a word we don't always use or understand, so we're going to kind of define it. We're going to kind of look at what that is. To bear basically is the concept of endurance. It means to endure. The definition's on the screen and in your notes. It says to endure something unpleasant or difficult, whether on one's own behalf or on behalf of someone else. So what Paul is saying here is we need to be willing to endure with one another. We need to have some endurance with one another. And listen, this is simple and easy when things are going well. But it's not always so easy to bear with one another when things aren't going as well as you would like. I remember uh, we were living in Albuquerque at the time, but, but we came up to Breckenridge, Colorado, for a little kind of family trip. And my mom and dad came, and my sisters came, and their families came. And remember, they're, they're from Missouri, okay? So sea level kind of place, okay? And so we were going to go to Breckenridge, Colorado, and just have a little trip, a little vacation together. And we're all excited about this. And so we're going to uh, stay, we all stayed in all the same house and had a good time. But we were like, hey, let's go for a hike. Let's go for a hike. Oh, that's a great idea. So this was, I, can't, I was trying to think this week how, how long ago this was. I think it was three or four years ago. So Easton, of course, was, was, was four or right in that age. And my nieces and nephews, they were all younger. And so we were going to go up and basically go on this hike. And so me being me, unfortunately, I said, okay, we're going to go over here. And we're going to hike and we're going to have a great time. And so off we go, you know, me and Emily and Easton, and my sisters and their, their husbands and all these, I mean, just this caravan start walking up the mountain. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to have a great time. And, 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 and as, as we hiked, I remember like Emily looking at me and kind of like my sister's going, does that, does that look like, like rain out in the thunder storm? death, you know, they, you know, oh no, 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 we're fine. You know, I, I kind of was like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a mountain man. I don't know if you knew that. I kind of know my way around, you know, all those sort of things. I was a Royal Ranger for about three weeks before they kicked me out, those sort of things, you know. And so I'm going, no, we're fine. Let's keep going. Now, of course, they're dying because they have no oxygen, because they're not quite acclimated to the altitude. So they're back there breathing. I'm just kind of going on. Oh, well, we just keep going. We keep, well, things got a little worse and things got a little worse. Well, long story short, um, you, you know the story of the flood? Huh? Yeah. 40 days and 40 nights, like it rained that hard on us. And we're turning, like, we got to go. We got to get off this mountain. And lightning is starting. I mean, we are just completely drenched. I got little kids looking at me like, why do you hate us? I had family members that are like, listen, if you don't make it off this mountain, we're not upset about it at all. You know what they were doing at that moment? They were bearing with me. 
They were burying. It wasn't, they weren't like happy with me, but they were, bear, they were burying me. They were enduring my, can I just be flat honest with you, stupidity and my pride. But you know what's amazing? is like, they still loved me. You know, at least as far as I know, we got down the mountain, everybody was safe. But you know what? That is what this imagery is that, that God is trying to get us to see. This idea, listen, this is in your notes. To bear with one another means to be patient with each other's weakness. In their weakness. Like, listen, I'm good at being patient if you're really good at something. But if you're not, I struggle with that. And God has called us to be patient in each other's weaknesses, not just their strengths, but in their weakness. That's hard to do. Listen, one of the reasons I feel like God led us to this passage was because these are things, quite honestly, that as the church as a whole and our society, we aren't good at. We don't bear with one another well. We will bear with you as long as I can not have to be affected by certain things. But as soon as it begins to affect me, as soon as your weakness or your flaws begin to come out, I tend to check out. You know, that's the opposite of what God has called us to be in reference to one another. He is calling us to say, no, we need to move forward with one another, even in each other's weaknesses. That's hard, but God can help us to do it. Let's look at 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. Here's what he says. Paul says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I will show mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That idea of immense patience, I love that. Guess what that's really bringing us to, what's harking to, is that idea of bearing. You realize that? That Paul here is using himself, his saying, I, I was the worst. I did these horrible, terrible things. And yet God had immense patience with me. I have a question, and it's not an easy question to ask. It is not an easy question to answer. But I want to ask it. Who do you need immense patience with today? Who has God called you to have immense patience with? Because can we just be honest? Okay, okay. I'm... Some people, they're just hard to love. I know there are times I'm probably really hard to love. But yet God has called us to this immense patience. Who in your life is God saying, I want you to have that immense patience with? Because, why? Because Jesus has done that and still does that with you and me. Let's look at Galatians 6. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. This is what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly or mature should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now look at verse 2. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, and in this 
way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. In verse 2, that idea of burdens, that concept, we really kind of get the word or we can see the idea that Paul is trying to help us understand of the idea of a boulder. A boulder. Who among us that God has placed in our path are dealing with large burdens and boulders in their life that God says, listen, I know that it's not always easy. I know that it's in their weakness, but you need to bear with them. You need to put your arms around them. You need to grab that boulder and help them carry it because I have asked you to be a part of one another. Listen, you need to understand something about me. And some of you know this. Some of you are going to hear this for the very first time. I have boulders and and things in my life I need your help to carry. Oh, no, 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 you can't. You are a pastor. Absolutely. That means nothing as far as the boulders I have to carry in my life. And it means nothing as far as I don't need help carrying them. Some of you, that, that, that kind of freaks you out. I'm going to be honest. I know that. What do you mean? What do you mean, Aaron, your life? What do you mean you have struggles? You're right. I have struggles. There's things I need your help with. Being a part of a family, being a part of one another, being interwoven together is to say that I get to be there to help carry your burdens and you get to be there to help carry mine. And I'm not too good or I'm not too, having got all my stuff together where I don't still deal with things that are hurtful, things that are hard, things that I don't understand in my own life. We all need this help. We all need to help each other carry the burdens. We're going to look at Romans 15, 1 through 3. This is in the message version. This was a paraphrased version that a man named Eugene Peterson put together. And I just, I don't usually use the message version, but I loved how this was, was stated. So let's look at this together. Romans 15, 1 through 3. This is what it says. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith, need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us. Again, a leilon, asking ourselves, how can I help? Verse number three, that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but he waded right in and helped out. I love that imagery of this idea of wading in. Listen, I don't know about you, but you can't get into a pool without getting wet. And unfortunately, we want to we, we want to kind of do this with people and their, their stuff and their burdens and their hurts. We kind of want to say, like, let's imagine, I know this online, you have to trust me, um, you know, like down here is the swimming pool, you know? You ever seen this before? You know, a lot of times you go into the pool, there's the steps. And, and the issues and the problems and the people and the hurt and the stuff is all down in the water. And we kind of want to do this. I'm here for you, man. I got you. Whatever you need. Hey, man, I'm praying. And listen, I'm not saying prayer's not important. But God here, listen, Jesus didn't stand up in heaven and say, man, seriously, I, I know you got some issues down there. You know, sin, sin, wages of sin or death. I know that's where you're headed. But hey, I'm here, dude. I got you. Jesus waded in. And he's called us to do the same. You say, but Aaron, I'll get wet. Yeah, you're going to get wet. 
You're supposed to get wet. Being a part of one another means that you're going to get wet. And here's what I've learned. The people that are here, whether it be me at a time or you at a time, they need people willing to wade down, put their arms around them, and say, listen, man, I'm going to pray. You know I'll be praying, but I'm not going to just pray. I'm going to get involved in the water. I'm going to wade in and bear with your weakness. Bear in those moments where things are hard. Listen, hear me here. If we can do that as a body of believers in a church, that will change lives. Because too many times we acknowledge the issue, we acknowledge the weakness, but we do nothing to make a difference. Bearing with each other means getting in there, wading in. The second thing, or the, the second thing on the third idea, the third point, is forgiving one another. Paul in his in being inspired by the Holy Spirit, but also in his, in his, his brilliance, let's be honest, combines these two. You see, you cannot bear with one another if you're not willing to forgive one another. And so Paul kind of puts these together. We're going to look at a story that a lot of us know to kind of understand so that we can look at this together. But it starts with a question that we see in Matthew. But this is the question. How many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Uh, it's such a good question. It's an interesting question. And we find it in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, 21 through 22, uh, this is what it says. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins, uh, sins against me? Up to seven times. Now let's stop here for a second. Let's give us a little context, a little understanding of the time and the understanding. Peter, let's be honest at this point, he's trying to kind of get a little bit of brownie points with Jesus. Okay? At the time, the Jewish culture, what they believed was if you forgave someone three times, you were being extremely generous. So Peter kind of walks up with his, on his spiritual high horse here. He's like, so Jesus, um, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven. Like, go ahead and pat me on the back. Look at, well, see, I'm so good. I'm such, oh, I'm such a good person, aren't I? And Jesus basically takes that whole concept and as he does so many times, he flips it on its head and he says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. I would love to have seen Peter's face at that moment. You know, he's like, seven times, Jesus? And Jesus like, 77? He goes, oh, okay. 77? 77 times? I thought three was good. And then I thought you would think I was really something because I was willing to do seven. Jesus goes, no, 77. Immediately after that, Jesus tells a story. We're going to look at it together. It's in Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Stay with me. It's a little bit of a long one, but it's important. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents okay we're going to get to that in a minute to remember ten thousand talents and since he could not pay his master ordered him to be sold with his family and his wife and his children and all that he had and payments to be made this was very common at this time in, in history for this type of thing to happen so the servant fell on his knees imploring him have patience with me Bear 
with me, is what he's saying. And I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I want to, let's remember what just happened here. He didn't say, that's fine, we'll do payment plans. He didn't say, we're going to do it this way, or you can pay me half. He basically just said, it's done. It's wiped away. It's gone. Okay? How many of you that have a mortgage would love for the bank to come to you tomorrow and say, it's gone? Yeah? Okay? The master says to his servant, it's gone. Okay? But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Remember that. Okay? A hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. Does that sound familiar? Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, this isn't easy. And I'm going to be flat honest from the very beginning. A lot of this is a process that needs to take place in our hearts. But listen, it doesn't change the fact that this is a command from God. Okay? It doesn't change the fact. To close and kind of understand this, I want to look at what does this parable really teach us as believers? Okay? Because just in case you didn't know, okay, you're not the master in the story. That's God, obviously. And you're not the second servant. You're the first. And so we need to understand that looking at this. So what does this parable teach us? The first thing, it teaches about our massive debt. Okay, we're going to do something that we don't normally do because I'm not a big fan of this. We're going to do some math, okay? We're going to do some math to help us understand some things. So this is in your notes. Let's look at this together. We're going to start with the first debt that we're looking at. We're looking at this idea of 10,000 talents, okay? So this is going to be up on your screen. It's also in your notes, okay? So we're going to go through this together. 10,000 talents, one talent basically would equal about 20 years of a workman's labor, okay? So one talent equals 20 years of labor. Now let's go through this. What basically what we've done is we're trying to help people, we're trying to help you understand in modern money and things of that nature to understand kind of what Jesus is helping us to see here. So if a normal person, let's say they made $15 an hour, they worked roughly 2,000 hours, that equals about $30,000 per year, okay? So one year equals $30,000. We're going to times 20 years of labor times 30,000. So one talent is equal to $600,000. But how many talents did he say? He didn't say one. He said there were a couple more. Throw the next one up there. There were 10,000 talents. So basically, you take that, and you're getting about 6 
billion dollars. Okay? Do we understand? Not a little bit of money here. This is what he was forgiven. Now, to have some more context, let's look at 100 denarii. Okay? Let's put that up there. So, one denarii would equal basically one day of labor. Okay, so one day is one denarii. So again, $15 an hour times eight hours a day, that is basically $120 a day. And then we're going to take 100 denarii, which is 100 days of labor, times 120, and that equals, on the screen, there it is, $12,000. Now, obviously $12,000, that's not chump change. And Jesus wasn't trying to make it chump change. But we have a debt of six billion to twelve thousand. That is a massive debt. That is a massive debt. This is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand as far as what has been forgiven. What our massive debt really is. And when we understand that, it obviously goes into our next point, which is, is our complete inability to pay. Our complete inability. Now, I'm sure there are people in this world that maybe could write a check for $6 billion. I, I got a feeling nobody in here can. I got a feeling most people would not. We have a huge debt. And we have absolutely no way of paying it. No way. Zero way. And God, in his infinite mercy and love, sends Jesus to pay our debt. To wipe it away. Listen, hear me here. You, you, you just be thrilled to death that I'm not God. Because I don't think I'd done that. <laughs> I think I probably would have been like, you know, maybe we'll do a payment plan. You know, I mean, you know, you, you've done some six billion dollars. That's a lot of money. We'll do a payment plan. God doesn't. God just says it's gone. Scripture tells us that our sin is separated from us for as far as the east is the west. Our sins were like scarlet, but they're made white as snow. And what does all that show? Simple. God's great mercy. God's great mercy. Listen, we can't talk about forgiveness of each other. We can't talk about bearing with one another until we understand the great mercy that God has shown us. Look at Titus 3, 4 through 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but why? But according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? You see, a lot of times when we talk about forgiveness, we talk about the forgiveness that we are needing to extend to others, and trust me, that is what we're going to be talking about, and that's important. But it starts with understanding how greatly we have been forgiven. A lot of times people struggle with forgiveness because they forget the debt that they owed. And Jesus here in this story is saying, listen, you need to understand something. Your debt is big. Your inability to pay is clear. But God's great mercy has taken care of that. And how? How has that really been done? By God's provision in Christ. 
God's provision in Christ. Let's continue, Titus 3. Now we're going to look at verse 6 and verse number 7. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, God's mercy extended. Here, here's the idea again. God didn't say, listen, I, I know you need mercy. I know the wages of sin is death. Jesus literally came and waded into the mess. You know what we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate Jesus leaving the splendors of heaven and coming to the mess on a rescue mission for you and for me. And then the final one. And I put this five because we got to understand one through four to really be able to handle five. We must forgive others. You say, Aaron, why do I have to forgive? Why is that important? Simple. God has forgiven you. And you can't bear with one another if we're not willing to forgive one another. And you say, but Aaron, listen, you don't know what happened. Listen, I'm not trying to belittle your pain in any way, shape, or form. But you've got to hear what God's word says. God's word says you owed, a, somebody owes you about 12 grand. And that's a lot of money. And I'm not trying to belittle that in any way, shape, or form. But God forgave you of $6 billion. How can we move into that place? Listen, the best way I have learned to learn how to forgive, and it's a journey, it is. It's not, you're probably not going to just wake up this morning and go, I have forgiven. It, it, it's a process, it really is, especially in those deep hurts. But you got to start the process. And we start it because we understand one, two, three, and four. Jesus didn't say, just forgive, even though he could have. Do you realize Jesus could have said that? Just forgive. Why? Because I said so. Why? Because I'm God. That's enough. But he brings it to us in a way that says, listen, I waded in into your mess and forgave you a great debt. I bared with you in your weakness. And if we're going to follow Jesus, guess what? He's called us to do the same. If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. The great thing about how Jesus works, though, is Jesus says to us, listen, I know you can't do this alone. I know you can't do this on your, by yourself, but I'm going to help you to do that. I love that. I love that, that Jesus really, I mean, here's the perfect thing. Jesus really, obviously, in all these things, he really shows us what one another is really about. I love that in a lot of ways. Think about it. Our life, Jesus, he wants to be interwoven in your life. Isn't that beautiful? That the, the God of the universe wants to be interwoven with you. Hey, listen, hear me here. Maybe you've been saved for a long time. If that doesn't penetrate your heart a little bit, it probably should. But the God of the universe loves you so much. He wants to be a part of your story.
I mean, like, I want to be a part of God's story. I hope you want to be a God of God's story too. But you realize that, that God wants to be a part of your story. You look at scripture and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You know what you see? God interjecting himself in our story. Moses is out in the wilderness tending sheep. There's a fiery bush. God injects himself into the story. Peter, James, and John are in the sailboat. They fished all night, haven't caught a fish. This rabbi, this teacher walks up. Just throw the nets on the other side. Jesus injects himself into the story. Paul's on his way. The Bible says, with murderous intent in his heart. On his way to Damascus. And all of a sudden, a light comes. And a voice speaks out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, God injects himself into this story. One of the greatest things about salvation is when we basically say, God, I will let you inject yourself into my story. And when that happens, everything changes. So we need to understand that first. And when we understand all that God has done, it becomes much easier, not, not easy, but easier to bear with one another and to forgive one another. Have you ever thought how much God bears with you? I do. I'll do something silly or I'll say something silly or I'll think something I'll do all these things I shouldn't do and I'll sit there and I'll go, God, really? You bear with this dummy? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I have immense patience with you. So Aaron, you need to have immense patience with each other. It's a hard calling, but it's one that God will help us with. So let's do this. Those that are online, those that are here, let's just take a moment. Let's just quiet ourselves before the Lord. And I want to ask you a couple of questions. Number one, a lot of this soul message was really about the body of Christ. And some of you may say, you know, Aaron, I'm not really a part of the body of Christ. I don't really know what that means. Well, that means that basically we've accepted Jesus's love, forgiveness, and grace. Basically, it means we've allowed Jesus to, to come into our story and make us new. We're not perfect. This idea of regeneration and renewal is a process that we're all in. But we've allowed Jesus to come and we've made him the Lord and the Savior of our life and he's molding us and shaping us. And, 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 and here's the thing, God would love to interject himself into your story. You say, Aaron, my story's too dark. My, my story's too bad. My story. There is no story that God won't inject himself into if you'll allow it. You say, well, how do I become a part of God's family? It's real simple. God tells us in his word. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. You acknowledge that understanding that Jesus is who he says he is, that you need his forgiveness, and that he will forgive you. And because of that, you have salvation, but also because of that, you make him Lord of your life. If that's you, 
You can do that right now, whether you're online today or 10 years from now and you're watching this, or maybe you're here, wherever you're at, it's available to you right now. Today is the day of salvation. So maybe that's you. You just need to say, God, I accept it. I need your grace and your mercy. I have a big debt. Wipe it away. And I know he will. For others of you, we may have trouble with bearing with one another. There's that person, man, and they just really just get on our nerves, you know. And God, we need your help to bear with them. We need that endurance, that immense patience with them. And we can't do it without you. So maybe, maybe we need to reach out to God in this moment and say, God, I need help in this area. My relationship in this area isn't good. I'm not a good bearer. And I need to do a better job. I need to be willing to wade in to people's weaknesses. And for some of us, we've been carrying around unforgiveness for a really long time. Maybe we've tried to forgive and it just hasn't stuck. And I want to encourage you. I don't know all of your stories yet. One of the great things about being in a family is to learn each other's stories. But I know enough people and I know enough stories to know that every story has some hurt. Every story has some pain. And I want to encourage you right now to follow the command of God and begin the process of forgiveness. You say, Aaron, I don't know how. Listen, it's, it's different for everybody. It really is. But I would say the first step is always the same for everyone. Go to God with it. Bring it to God and say, God, I, I have trouble. I'm having trouble forgiving this act and this person, and I need your help. And allow that process to begin. Begin to begin to say, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to allow this bitterness and this unforgiveness to control me anymore. And then every day you go to God, maybe sometimes multiple times a day, and you just begin to pray that prayer again and again and again. And one day you'll wake up and you'll know in your heart you've truly forgiven. And in that moment, you will have some freedom that you've never experienced before. You say, Aaron, the, my hurt's too deep. No hurt's too deep for God. Bring it to Him. Bring it to Him. Let Him do what only He can do. So maybe you're in the first group Maybe you're in the second, maybe you're in the third, wherever you're at, I just ask you would pray with me as I pray. Let's take it to the Father, knowing He can help. Father, we come to you right now. And Father, for those that need to accept you, Father, I just pray that they would just begin to call out to you. There's not a magic prayer. There's not a certain magic code words to say. It's simply believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. 
So Father, I pray that those individuals, whether here or online, would begin to do that right now in this moment. Father, for those that have our trouble with the bearing aspect of one another, Father, they, they tend to kind of, they don't want to wade in. They don't want to be inconvenienced because of people's weaknesses or their hurts or their burdens or their boulders. Father, I pray that you would change us from the inside out. Help us to understand, Jesus, that's what you did. You waded in and began to minister and to help and to deal with the people that God placed in your path and you've called us to do the same. God, help us to one another well in this area. And Father, for, the, for maybe the others of us that maybe are dealing with unforgiveness, we're dealing with hurt and pain and, and scars that are still open because of what things have been said or what things have been done. Father, I pray that first and foremost, we would understand the debt you have forgiven us of. We would allow that mercy, grace, and love to overwhelm us in this moment. And then, Father, that we would begin that journey, that process towards forgiveness, knowing that we need your help, knowing that we can come to you in this weak area and you will give us the patience and the hope and the help that we need. Father, we look to you. What's amazing about these things, we can't do it without you. But with you, all things are possible. We thank you for that. Let's all stand. John and the worship team are going to come lead us in a quick closing chorus. so good. You're so good. 
and we love you so much. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the help that we know you'll bring. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, listen, thank you so much for being here this morning. For those that are online, man, we love you. We miss you. Hope that you're doing well. We have prayer on Wednesday, ladies group meeting on Thursday. I hope you can be there. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.